Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. This morning's teaching text we read from Genesis 1, verse 26 to chapter 2, verse 3. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life, I give you green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. But the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. Morning. It's great to see you all. Um, we've got some guests from Portland, Oregon here today. It's great. Hey. It's great to see you guys. We've also got some guests from Denmark as well. Amazing. Uh, we are so glad that you're here, um, but there's somebody who uh, wins this morning. Um, Norman ran a leg of the marathon and is here already. Um, I should have just said that you ran the full thing and then you ran it in world record time. Uh, t- like two hours? Yeah, t- ran the full thing. Two hours and is here um, in time for the 11.30 service. Um, it is great to see you all. Um, my name's Stu, if we haven't met before. Um, And I'm really, really glad that you're all here. Um, Just want to let you know that tonight Jericho is happening. um, And we're really excited to get together for a night of worship and for prayer. We're going to be getting together at 6.30 for tea and coffee. And then we're going to be kicking off at 7 p.m. If you haven't been around, the nights at Jericho recently have been really special for us as a church. As we get together to pray and intercede for our community here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. But also for the entire region that we find home in. But also for this island that we love. And here's the thing, whenever we do pray, things do happen. So can I really encourage you uh, to come out tonight, 6.30 for tea and coffee, 7pm, for kicking off for a night of significant prayer and intercession. Since Easter Sunday, we have been exploring what it means for us to live in the light of Easter. Easter changed everything forever, and Easter means that we are reconciled. We're reconciled to God. There's no longer any distance between us. 
Christ has moved towards us so that we're able to enjoy an intimate life with him. But last week, we also saw that we are to be reconciled to each other. Do you want to flick onto the next slide? Andy last week taught from this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world. I want you to notice the world there, not just people or souls, but all things. The world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are to live as ambassadors of reconciliation. Living deeply connected lives with each other. Not retreating back into our own silos or our own echo chambers, but to move towards all people with the message of Christ's love and his life. Easter means that we are reconciled to God and that we are reconciled to each other. And this morning, I want to wrap up this mini-series on reconciliation. Next Sunday, we're going to be getting together to unpack all of the feedback from our metric series. Um, We took seven weeks to ask you what kind of community we are and long to become more like. And we're going to be doing some work as a team over the course of the next week or so. And next Sunday, we're going to be sharing our thoughts, our feedback, to share what you told us, and then also to set some priorities for us as we move forward as a community over the course of the next couple of years. So can I really encourage you to prioritize next Sunday morning? It's going to be a significant morning for us. But I want to finish off our mini-series on reconciliation by exploring one last direction. And that is that we are to be reconciled to creation, to this physical, natural earth and everything in it. I don't think we've ever taken a full talk to explore creation and our role and responsibility to care for it and to nurture it here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. So I'm really, really glad that we're doing this this morning. I wanna lay a foundation this morning as I teach that will set us up as we move forward because this is such an important conversation for us. If you drive out of here, take a right, and you take another right, and then you take a left, you'll pretty much end up at my grandparents' house. Quite a lot of my childhood was spent kicking around this neck of the woods. So funny how life goes in circles, isn't it? And right at the heart of this community for me is my grandparents' home. It's a home that has shaped me. It has formed me. It has made me into the kind of person that I am today. And it's helped shape my perspective around two things, time and place. There was a rhythm to my grandparents' place. My family are full of hardworking, dedicated people, but my grandparents' place was the place that we were all able to down our tools, to pull up a chair at the kitchen table, drink copious amounts of tea, like really milky tea, so it's kind of gray rather than kind of the nice milky color. We were able to rest and we were able to chat. I'll always remember Saturday afternoons around my grandparents' place. Saturday afternoons were sacred for us. It'd be the place where my mom's sisters and her brother and their families would rock up after a busy week simply just to be together and rest. There was a rhythm to my grandparents' place where in the midst of busy, full lives, we would all get together and slow right down and savor every single moment and every single bite of the Caramel Square. But there was also something about that place, that physical space, 
My grandparents' home is the most Lisburn of houses. You know the way Lisburn isn't just a city, it's also an adjective. You ever notice that? Oh, they're so Lisburn, those people. Um, I uh, was speaking to somebody a few weeks ago who lives in Lisburn and was just asking, why do you love it so much? And this lady said, well, I just love Lisburn people. It's like, why do you love Lisburn people? It's because they're not like those Belfast people. And I was like, oh, flip. I lived in East Belfast for 10 years and I feel a little bit offended and needed to share Andy's talk on reconciliation with her. my grandparents' place, it's the most Lisburn of houses, 1960s development, kind of normal. It backs onto the motorway, so there's a lot of noise pollution that runs by. But then there was the garden. My grandfather was a remarkable gardener. He poured his life into a small patch of land, probably about twice the size of this stage. And with years of investment, of cultivation, and of consistently having grubby hands, you would have walked out of the ordinary kitchen door into a place that seemed otherworldly. It was a thin space. The noise of the M1 seemed to disappear as you moved from this ordinary home into something remarkable. For years, my grandfather transformed a small patch of Lisburn into a place of beauty and wonder, a place where friends and lovers would be able to sit and grow old together, a place of healing, a place where children would run wild with their red faces from sneakily eating all of the raspberries, guilty as charged, and a place that was teeming with life that stirred something really deep within you. If you go out of here, take a right, take another right, and then take a left, you will find a small patch of Lisburn that has been transformed, redeemed through years of cultivation. Here's the big idea this morning. We live in an age of new creation. Because of Resurrection Sunday, the old has gone and the new has come. And we as the church have been empowered by God's Holy Spirit to demonstrate the reality of his kingdom and to fulfill his great commission. But... That doesn't mean that we are able to set aside what God has called us to right at the very beginning of our story, to steward creation and to cultivate it. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 in your Bibles, and we're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis 1 this morning, so please do keep it open um, as I talk. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I want us to explore what God invites humanity to do right at the very beginning of our story. Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all of the wild animals, and over all of the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And jump down with me to chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. I know I talked about this a few weeks ago with Emma whenever we were exploring vocational clarity, but this text is just so, so important for us. We are to live fruitful lives. We're to reproduce God's good creation over and over again. We aren't invited to uh, rule in a controlling or a domineering way, but we as trusted rulers, like royalty, have been invited to own this place and to see it grow into health and into flourishing. We were placed on this earth to work it and to take care of it, to maintain its goodness 
And we are made in the image of God himself to partner with him in his own work of seeing creation come to life. I want you to just look at Genesis chapter 1. You may need to flick back. Just scan through Genesis 1. Look at its poetic structure. Just notice how deliberately and intentionally it has been written, but also how deliberate and intentional the creator was bringing it into life. Notice the care that he takes with creation. And notice that at every single step of Genesis chapter 1, God sits back and recognizes that it was good. We were created to live in exactly the same way. Let us make mankind in our image so that they are able to rule the relationship of the Trinity said amongst itself. We are to be like God. We are to live for creation, not be passive about it. We are to see that it is inherently good and we are to draw out its divine potential, the divine potential of all things and every single person for God's glory but also for the flourishing of his creation. God created this earth, everything and everyone on this planet with care and with affection. And if God treats his creation that way, shouldn't we be doing exactly the same? Because we love the God of creation, shouldn't we also have the same care that he has for the thing that he has made? We totally live in an age of new creation, but that doesn't mean for a second that we are able to reject God's invitation to partner with him in cultivating and taking care of this place. In fact, I think we need to take up this invitation more than ever. Um, After leaving school, I, I went to university and studied human geography for three years. I, I don't know why I studied human geography for three years until this very moment. Hit me with a graph. Um, awesome, thanks. This is um, the most expensive graph ever. Thank you, Students Loan Company. Um, for most of the history of the Earth, we have existed in a period known as Holocene, a sweet spot for creation where calm and stable conditions have allowed for human flourishing, but also the flourishing of the whole of creation. Everything was really balanced and incredibly stable until the Industrial Revolution, and also particularly the date of 1950. Since 1950, there has been an acceleration of the impact that we are making on this earth. On the left-hand side of your screen are all of the things that we have done. Notice population increase, the GDP increase, primary energy increase, the water usage, international tourism. But notice the impact that it is having on our earth. And notice the date of 1950. Pretty much like for like everything has experienced an acceleration. The things that we are doing to this earth, but also the impact that it is having. We are shaping creation dramatically shaping creation. We're just not doing it in the right direction. A few weeks ago, David Attenborough was speaking at the IMF and he said this, it is hard to exaggerate the peril that we are in. The way we're treating creation is contributing towards the extinction of species, rapid climate change, the destruction of environments, the exploitation of workers, and I don't know about you, but I am simply sleepwalking into this. And here's the thing. We know what we need to do, right? 
we know what we need to do. There are things that we know that if we were able to change our life, even just in a little way, it would make a dramatic change upon the environment and creation. Driving less, flying less, buying less but buying better, ensuring that our clothes are sweatshop free, recycling, insisting our politicians do their jobs, using less water, and I could go on and on and on. We all know the list of things that we're all able to do really, really easily, and yet with something as large as this, Many of us can wonder, and me included, what's the point? How can I make a difference to creation? Listen to these words from John O'Donoghue. Um, it's going to appear on the screen. It's a long quote, but please stick with me. Sometimes when we look out, the world seems so dark. War, violence, and hunger and misery seem to abound. And this makes us anxious and helpless. What can I do in my private little corner of life that could have any effect on the march of world events? And the usual answer is nothing. We then decide to do what we can for our own and leave the great events to their domain. And thus we opt out and join the largest majority in the world, those who acquiesce, those who just accept things for the way things are without any questioning or protest. Believing ourselves to be helpless, we hand over all of our power to forces and the systems outside of us that then act in our names, whether it's big business or government or whatever, and they go on to put their beliefs into action. And ironically, these actions are often sinister and destructive. We live in times when the call to full and critically aware citizenship cannot be more urgent. O'Donoghue goes on to say this, real presence is the ideal for us. Whenever we betray the helplessness, we strengthen the hand of those who would destroy. When we choose indifference, we betray our world. This is the heart of what I want to get to, these next two lines. The way that you look at things is not simply a private matter. Your outlook actually and concretely affects what goes on in this world. When you give into helplessness, you collude with despair and you add to it. But when you take back your power and choose to see the possibilities for healing and for transformation, your creativity awakens and flows to become an active force of renewal and encouragement in the world. In this way, even in your own hidden life, you can become a powerful agent of transformation in a broken and darkened world. There is a huge force field that opens when intention focuses and directs itself towards transformation. It's beautiful, isn't it? Our outlook actually affects what goes on in our world. The way that we look at things can invite us in to becoming a powerful agent of transformation and renewal. Here's the thing. This morning, I am not going to tell you what you should go and do. I'm not going to do that because it's not really my place. I am not an environmental activist. I'm not like, I don't give to Greenpeace. I'm not an eco-warrior. I'm kind of middle of the road whenever it comes to this conversation. I'm trying my best, but I know that there is a long way for me. I sometimes forget to put food waste into the food caddy. Um, don't tell the council, please. And I am consistently thinking about burgers, like all of the time. Um, even right now, I am thinking about burgers because they're flipping delicious. They really are. I'm not an eco-warrior, but I am a Bible teacher. And this morning, I want to teach into the way that we look at things. Because your outlook and my outlook are reflections on this text. They actually affect what goes on in the world. 
And I'm becoming increasingly convinced that our care for creation shouldn't be like the rest of the world's. It should be so much stronger than that. Our affection for this place that we call home should reflect the heart of our creator. We must become reconciled to creation. But there's one thing that we need to talk about. There's a myth that sometimes trips us up in the church. And it's really this. Why should we care? As Christians, why should we care? Because we're all about the soul, right? We're all about the spirit. We're going to leave this place behind one day. It's going to burn. We're going to leave our body six feet under. And then our souls are going to rise up and rest forever up there, right? This way of thinking, this way of thinking that I grew up in, it has been tripping the church up for generations. And it leads us to not having to take seriously with God's seriousness our bodies, people, or things. And it makes us believe that we should be retreating away from the natural, from the physical, because it's lower, because it's corrupted, because it's sinful. It's what we get to leave behind, so let's just leave it behind anyway, right? All of that thinking, which I know is probably quite familiar for many of you, I say this humbly this morning, it is a lie, and it is not biblical. The great news is the creation, nature, our bodies, this very earth, it really, really matters to God. Let me explain this in four movements for you. Creation, incarnation, resurrection, and revelation. But before I get there, can I just ask, are you with me this morning? Great. Firstly, first movement, creation. God made all things, and he made them good and after he made humans, we read this in Genesis 1.31, he sits back and reckons that the whole of creation is actually very good. With such craftsmanship, God fashioned all things into goodness. Now, of course, we know that with the fall, sin, sickness, and death enters into the world. God's good creation has experienced a fracturing. But to think that God has made anybody right to this moment or anything up to this moment to be low, to be corrupted, to be dirty or compromised is an insult to God. Second movement, incarnation. If we were in any doubt about the goodness of God's creation, we must recognize that Jesus, the firstborn of creation, as it says in Colossians chapter 1, the one who is the highest form of creation itself, he took on flesh, as we read in John chapter 1. Jesus made his home in a womb, and he then lived out his life in a fully physical body. Right away, from Genesis to Revelation, we see this one thread. God moves towards creation. He doesn't try to escape from it, and so neither should we. Third movement, resurrection. Two weeks ago, we celebrated that Jesus was, uh, rose from the dead and was able to rise with a new resurrection body. Jesus' resurrection body is the prototype, the first fruits of the body that we're going to receive. 1 John 3 says this, For one day we shall be like him. We will receive a resurrection body just like Jesus's. Now I want you to remember the events of Resurrection Sunday. Remember the disciples walking along the road to a mess, and they didn't at first recognize that they were with Jesus, right? We all remember that story. There's something that is new about Jesus' resurrection body. But then... As the story goes on, Jesus enters into a room with the rest of the disciples. He breaks bread, and the disciples' eyes are opened, and they see that it is Jesus. And how is it they recognize Jesus? It is with his scars, his wounds, 
there is something about the old physical body that is affirmed in the new resurrection body. Jesus didn't rise as some kind of ghost, as some kind of phantom. Following his resurrection, Jesus took on a body. And Jesus' resurrection body was able to be touched. Jesus ate. And here's the thing. Jesus is existing now, sat at the right hand of the Father in a physical body, a new resurrection body. And whenever he returns, our bodies are going to just be like his. Fourth movement, Revelation. But slow down a second, Stu. You and your flipping theology. Um, when we die, we're going to go to heaven, right? That's maybe the question that some of you are asking. Yes, absolutely. Good Friday, whenever Jesus is hanging on the cross, he turns to the criminal and says, today, as of this day, you're, uh, you will be with me in paradise. But paradise, heaven, it is not going to be the final destination for us. At the end of our story, we read it in Revelation 21, we're going to see the new heavens and the new earth. A new city is going to come down out of heaven, and we, with resurrected bodies, we will dwell with Jesus forever, and we will do it right here. God's good creation is not going to end up burnt up or destroyed, but actually transformed. Jesus is making all things, not just souls, but all things new. So what is good, what is true and beautiful in what we cultivate and create will in fact become the building materials of the new city which we will inhabit forever. The age of new creation has indeed begun. It will be fully established in the future, but that means that what we do right in this moment with our bodies, with our communities, with our work, with creation itself, it really does matter. So as we plant trees, as we care for creation, as we recycle, as we start businesses, as we employ people, as we care for our children, as we invest in our communities, we have the opportunity not simply just to leave something behind for the next generation, but instead establish a kingdom legacy that will echo for the entirety of eternity. The call of God on our lives is to move from simply being mere consumers of this earth and actually cultivators of new creation. I said it once, I'll ask it again. Are you with me this morning? Great. God consistently moves towards creation. He doesn't escape from it. He's chosen to redeem it, to transform it, and so should we. Let me ask you this. If you knew that you were going to dwell here, in this place for eternity, would you treat it any differently? And if so, how? So what does it look like for us to be reconciled to creation? To answer that, we need to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and also back to my grandparents' home. Open up Genesis 1 and 2 again. I want you to notice that Genesis 1 and 2 has two different ways that are telling exactly the same story. The first way is in part 1 which is Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1, down to Genesis 2, verse 3. There is a rhythm to this first section. It begins with in the beginning, and then it is broken up in these seven different time sequences. Genesis chapter 1 is focused on time. But the second part, Genesis 2, which picks up uh, from Genesis 2, verse 4, down to the end of that chapter, it is set in a particular geography. It is focused on a particular place. 
It zooms right in on verse 8 to a garden, Eden, a local place. We become reconciled to creation whenever we begin to adopt Genesis' perspective on two things, time and place. So let's look at time, firstly. Genesis 1, verse 31, says this. God saw, that all he, sorry, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and then there was morning the sixth day. And thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he had rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. In an age whenever we are becoming, uh, we kind of just disregard creation, particularly through our consuming of it. The call of Genesis is to be the kind of people who tend to creation and also the kind of people who delight in it. And God shows us the way that we are to actually put this stuff into practice. And it is through how we spend our time. It is through Sabbath. If our weeks are crazy busy, if they're frantic, if we're trying to constantly move on to the next task or the next goal, we will only end up using creation to achieve what we need it to do for us. But if we create space to stop, to rest, we will begin to truly savor creation and delight in it. From my earliest days round at my grandparents' house, I learned that we needed space in our weeks to down tools and to rest. There was a rhythm to my grandparents' place, and there should be a rhythm to our lives also. We aren't built, none of you are built for a frantic, overworked way of life. And by the way, neither is anything in creation. Just like fields need a fallow year, and just like animals need to hibernate, each of you needs to take some time off. There is a rhythm to creation. So God has ordered this place. There are times, there are seasons, and we can't fast track this or microwave our lives. We need to embrace the rhythm that God has invited us into. And the best way for us to go and do this is to go out and savor creation. And here's the thing. Because we live here in this part of the world, it is so easy for us to live in this kind of way. We are spoilt because we live here, right? It's amazing that we get to live here. We're surrounded by beautiful spaces, by fields, by parks, rivers, lakes, mountains. The ocean is only a short drive away from us. We live in an incredible place. We are so fortunate to live here. And we've got so many opportunities right on our doorstep to get out and to Sabbath and to savor creation. It's amazing that we live here, that Lisburn actually could be an adjective for beauty and life and wholeness and health. What would it be for us to say, oh, this is so Lisburn, because actually the people in it are so unhurried, they're embracing life and enjoying it, they're so rested, and they live in a beautiful space, and they recognize it, rather than what we tend to do in kind of Northern Irishness or kind of in this part of the world where we kind of downplay where we live with some kind of sense of false humility. We are so blessed to live here. What a space to live in. So here's my challenge for you this bank holiday weekend. Over the next 48 hours, Are you going to create a moment of space for you, with your friends, with your family, to go and practice the way of Sabbath and creation? 
Go and have a picnic in Wallace Park. Go and run the towpath, roam the hills, head up the morns, make that killer meal, pour that glass, go to that gig, watch that David Attenborough documentary because you know that's always going to help with creation. Paint that painting. Go and rest and enjoy the fullness of creation. Because as you slow down and as you Sabbath, you will experience something that God himself experiences as he fashioned creation into being. It is goodness. Goodness is like oxygen. We need it to keep us alive. Creation is good, so go out and delight in it. But there's another thing I just want to mention. Sabbath and the enjoyment of creation, it also does something to us. Just like Sabbath baptizes our weeks into worship, allowing worship to permeate everything that we're going to do over the course of seven days, the delight of creation also baptizes our souls into wonder. As we slow down, as we savor, as we Sabbath, as we reflect on the mountains and the tide coming in and out, the laughter of our children, the beauty of each other, the food that we get to taste, as we experience the great smell of a lawn that has just been mowed. That's my favorite bit. As we get to do this, we can't help but be left in wonder at the sustainer and the creator of everything. So what would it look like for you to spend more time savoring creation as a way of connecting with Jesus? That you could be struck by awe and wonder at his goodness and his glory. Because the more that we adopt this Genesis perspective of time, the more that we Sabbath, we will experience two things. Firstly, the recovery of our lives in a healthy, sustainable way of living. And secondly, our posture towards creation will change. We'll see creation as not simply being something to be consumed, but actually cultivated. There should be a rhythm to our life, but also we are the kind of people who are to be deeply committed to the place that we have been planted. Genesis chapter 2 could have said that God placed man on the earth or in his creation, but instead he places humanity in a specific place, in a garden, a local space. And the writer of Genesis, you can see this for yourself, between uh, verses 10 and 14 of chapter 2, he gets really specific about the place that we're talking about here. As we follow Jesus, we get into this weird habit, I'm very guilty of this, of thinking about things way too generally or way too abstractly. But Jesus is really, really interested in the local, on the here and now, what's happening today, the dirt that is underneath our fingernails. Jesus took on flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood Adam and Eve were not placed into an abstract space, but a local place, a garden, and into that space they got to work, cultivating creation. And each of us have been placed into a garden, if you will, a local space. It takes in our homes, it takes in our neighbor's homes, it takes in the local, it takes in the local shop, it takes in the nearest park, it stretches to the boundary of our village, our town, or our city. For me and Emma, it's Lisburn. For you, it may be Moira, or Drumbo, or Glenavy, it may be somewhere like Legacurry, or Anahilt, or whatever. You find yourself in this garden, but these are real places with real people living in them, places that are teeming with God's creation. And we've got a choice to make. Either we can choose to posture ourselves towards consumption 
or we can choose the better way of posturing ourselves towards cultivation. If we choose consumption, we choose to just gather all the resources, all the relationships that we need, and retreat back into our homes, shutting the door on everyone and everything else. This is the big danger of commuter culture, which is only growing amongst us, where we work in a certain place, we have our being in a certain place, we gather up all we need on the way home and just lock the door behind us. Or in our hyper-connected world, which I love, by the way, we can so find ourselves wishing that the place that we live was just somewhere else. And so we just retreat into our digital world, our screen world, filtering our lives, trying to make it seem as if this place is somewhere very, very different and it isn't actually real. Have you been in somebody's home? You've seen it on Instagram. Have you been to that restaurant? You've seen it on Instagram and then you go there and it's so different, so different. That is a danger for our age where we just try to abstract everything and not get into the reality of what it looks like to live. We can live in that way, or we can posture ourselves towards commitment, where we can commit to the reality of a certain patch of creation, our garden, where we can take up the creation call that we received in Genesis, and we can live like my grandfather with his consistently grubby hands, and for years we can tend to this place to bring about transformation. Because as we commit to a place, we become the kind of people who invest and steward a garden and see it come to life. So as we invest, as we build relationships, as we look out for spaces that need to be renovated and go and do something about it, as we throw dinner parties and barbecues with our friends and our neighbors, as we are visible and known in our communities, as we serve on PTAs and on boards, as we start businesses, as we see something that is missing, And don't just complain about it, but get our mates together and go and start that thing that we're missing. We begin to steward the garden. We begin to recognize, just like Adam and Eve, that we are here, that other people are here, but also God is here. He is interested and involved and present in this place. And it is our task to recognize that, see where he is working, and see the shoots of his kingdom break through the concrete and come into life. Uh, Let me ask you this. Where is the balance for you right now? Consumption or cultivation? Where do you sit? Commitment, the better way. It is birthed by our loves. And it leads us to take up responsibilities that only create the conditions for transformation and renewal. The people of Israel were forced to leave the place that they loved the city of Jerusalem, and for 70 years they were held captive in the place that wasn't their home, the city of Babylon. They really didn't want to be there. They wished that they were back home. They wished that this place was somewhere else. They didn't want to commit. They just were like, let's just hang back and let's just kind of check out until we're able to get back home in 70 years' time. And God spoke to them through the prophet Jeremiah. It's going to appear on the screen says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. God is saying to them, And I believe that he's also consistently saying to us, embed yourself, 
entangle yourself in your garden, right where you are. Commit to this place. Don't just consume, but build and plant and invest and steward. Jeremiah goes on to prophesy this. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will also prosper. We have prosperity back to front all of the time. Our approach is let's focus on ourselves, let's pour our time and our energies into getting prosperity, and then whenever we have enough, we'll slice a bit off the top, and then we'll invest that into others and into our community. The better way, the way that God has always invited us into, is to first seek the peace and prosperity of the place that we have been placed in. Not after going after prosperity for ourselves. We are to lose ourselves in investment in our community, in our garden. We are to seek its prosperity first. Because as it flourishes, then we are also going to flourish. That is the true prosperity gospel. Seek after the prosperity of the place that you find yourself. Because as it flourishes, you're going to flourish too. Committing ourselves to the garden, to our patch of land, as we embed ourselves in it over time. We will only see it come alive. Come on up, guys. Let me finish with this. For generations, the Celts have had a way of seeing time and place in partnership with the Holy Spirit. It's the belief that as they committed themselves to the rituals and rhythms of a particular space over generations, as they tended to a particular space and cultivated it, the veil between heaven and that patch of creation would only get thinner and thinner and thinner. That it would become a thin space. We have the opportunity to be able to see this whole region of Blagan Valley area become a thin space. Where the veil between heaven and earth only gets thinner and thinner and thinner. And where the intentions of the Father in heaven become known and realized and lived into here all of the time. That is an opportunity for us to be able to live. To be able to see this place become a thin space. We believe that God works in two ways. He works in the sudden and he works in the slow. And we at the Vineyard, we love both of these things. We do kind of particularly love the sudden, though. Whenever God just moves dramatically, whenever he miraculously changes things, and out of nowhere his kingdom just comes, and we just get blown away that we're able to witness it, experience it, and partner with it. We love that. But there is something about committing to the slow work of God, of intentionally and deliberately over days and weeks and months and years committing ourselves to a particular patch of creation and see it come alive. The great thing about the nature of the kingdom of God is that those two things aren't opposed, the slow and the sudden, that they're both happening all of the time. And as we commit to one, we get to see the other happen. That's the wonderful, gracious thing about Jesus. But as we choose to commit ourselves to this place for years, for decades, for maybe even the rest of our lives, as we tend to cultivate it and steward what is happening, 
we will only see God's kingdom come with a greater measure, with greater power, and with greater intensity. This place, the land, the fabric of this place, the people that inhabit it, the institutions and the businesses and the organizations that find a home here, they are thirsty for the kingdom of God to be known. They're hungry for it. And it is our job to get our hands dirty in the garden, to tend to this place, to create the conditions for God to move and for us to step back and to realize the joy of partnering with him as he does it. Let's stand together, shall we?